Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, When You Send Forth Your Spirit. It's based upon the lectionary readings from May 23, 2021, Pentecost Sunday. What images and actions do you associate with the Holy Spirit? Does the third person of the Trinity make you think of doves, wind, fire, oil? When you anticipate the Spirit's activity in the world, do you imagine people speaking in tongues, confessing their sins, discerning new callings, preaching with renewed vigor? What about communicating across differences of language, culture, tribe, ethnicity, age, gender, politics, and creed? What about building bridges of love and healing across ancient divides? What about discovering that the stranger is your brother, your sister, This week, we celebrate Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit by fire, wind, and word. Pentecost, from the Greek Pentecostos, meaning 50th, was a Jewish festival celebrating the spring harvest. In the New Testament story, Luke tells, the Spirit descended on 120 believers in Jerusalem on the 50th day after Jesus' resurrection. The Spirit empowered them to testify to Jesus' impact in their lives, emboldened the Apostle Peter to preach to a bewildered crowd of skeptics, and drew 3,000 converts to the fledgling church in one day. For Christians, Pentecost marks the birthday of the church. By any stretch of the imagination, it's a fabulous story, full of riveting details. Tongues of fire, rushing winds, accusations of drunkenness, mass baptism. It's easy to get lost in the noise and the spectacle. But here's the detail that stands out to me as searingly relevant for our time and place. Quote, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. At this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. As Christians, we place great stock in language, in words. Like our Jewish and Muslim brothers and sisters, we are people of the book. We love the creation stories of Genesis, in which God births the very cosmos into existence by speaking. And God said, In the beginning was the word we read in John's dazzling poem about the Incarnation. On Sunday mornings, we profess our faith in the languages of liturgy, creed, prayer, and music. In short, we believe that language has power. Words make worlds, and unmake them too. If this is true, then what does the Holy Spirit's activity on Pentecost signify? Have we grasped the import of what the Spirit did, what the Spirit insisted on at the inaugural moment of the Church? What can we learn from the fact that the Spirit led with translation? If you are bilingual, then you know that there is nothing easy about substituting one language for another. Languages are intricate and messy. They carry the full weight of their respective cultures histories, psychologies, and spiritualities. To attempt one language instead of another is to make oneself a learner, a servant, a supplicant. It is an act of exploration and of hospitality. To speak across barriers of race, ethnicity, gender, religion, culture, or politics is to challenge stereotypes and risk ridicule. It is a brave and disorienting act, a risky act. But this is what the Holy Spirit required of Christ's frightened disciples on the birthday of the church. Essentially, she told them, stop huddling in what you call safety. 
Throw open your windows and doors. Feel the pressure of my hand against your backs. Pour yourselves into the streets you've come to fear and speak. Don't you understand? Silence is no longer an option. You are on fire. What I love about the first Pentecost story is that it required surrender and humility on both sides. Those who spoke had to brave languages beyond their comfort zones. They had to risk vulnerability in the face of difference and do so with no guarantee of welcome. They had to trust that no matter how awkward, inadequate, or silly they felt, the words bubbling up inside of them, new words, strange words, scary words, were nevertheless essential words, words precisely ordained for the time and place they occupied. Meanwhile, the crowd who listened had to take risks as well. They had to suspend disbelief, drop their cherished defenses and opt for curiosity and wonder instead of fear and contempt. They had to widen their circles and welcome strangers with accents into their midst. Not all of them managed it. Some sneered because they couldn't bear to be bewildered, to have their neat categories of belonging and exclusion challenged. Instead, like their ancestors at Babel, who scattered at the first sign of difference, they retreated into denial. Nothing new is happening here. This isn't God. These are fools who've had too much to drink. But even in that atmosphere of suspicion and cynicism, some people spoke and some people listened, and into those astonishing exchanges, God breathed fresh life. The bottom line is, something happens when we speak each other's languages. We experience the limits of our own words and perspectives. We learn curiosity. We discover that God's great deeds are far too nuanced for a single tongue, a single fluency. Of course, I'm stating the obvious when I say, Pentecost is a story for our time. We live in a world where words have become toxic, where the languages of our cherished isms threaten to divide and destroy us. The troubles of our day are global, civilizational, catastrophic. If we don't learn the art of speaking across the borders that separate us, we will burn ourselves down to ash. As I type these words, violence is intensifying across the Israeli-Palestinian divide. Children are dying, landscapes are going up in smoke, and chaos governs the streets. Closer to home, the United States is in a state of political and cultural gridlock so fierce we seem to have no capacity to communicate across our differences. The consequences, whether they have to do with the COVID pandemic, climate change, racial justice, or economic disparity, are too numerous to count. For many of us, the temptation to retreat into our enclaves is especially strong right now. We can't see outside of our social media bubbles. We've lost faith in the possibility of genuine dialogue. Our faith is faltering. But this is precisely why we need Pentecost. What mattered on that first birthday of the church was not the rhetorical skills and the religious acumen of the disciples. What mattered is that they followed Jesus' instruction to stay in one place, pray without ceasing, and wait for the Holy Spirit to come with power and do a new thing. What mattered was that the disciples, bumbling and clueless as they so often were, obeyed the prompting of the Spirit and allowed themselves to be transformed by the wind, the fire, the breath, and the tongues of God. Everything else followed from that. There is no way to overstate how much we need to gather as God's people right now and ask the Holy Spirit to instruct us, shape us, remake us, and commission us. We need fresh languages of bridge building. We need new words to rekindle love. We need the wind and fire of God to challenge our complacencies, reset our priorities, ease our anxieties, and move us out. 
It is no small thing that the Holy Spirit loosened tongues to break down barriers on the birthday of the Church. In the face of impossible difference, God compelled God's people to engage. From day one, the call was to press in, linger, listen, and speak. Because here's the thing. No matter how passionately I disagree with your opinions and beliefs, I cannot disagree with your experience. Once I have learned to hear and speak your story in the words that matter most to you, then I have stakes I never had before. I can no longer thrive at your expense. I can no longer make you my other. I can no longer abandon you. At my church, we respond to Sunday morning scripture readings with these words. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Can we hear it? Can we dare to hear what the Spirit is saying? Stop huddling. Stop hesitating. Speak. The Spirit has come and silence is no longer an option. You are on fire. For books this week, Brad Keister reviews Walter Isaacson's The Codebreaker, Jennifer Doudna, Gene Editing, and the Future of the Human Race. Since his earlier career as editor of Time and as CEO of CNN, Walter Isaacson has produced a stream of biographies that chronicle the contributions of individuals who have changed our view of the world, including Leonardo da Vinci, Benjamin Franklin, Albert Einstein, and Steve Jobs. In The Codebreaker, Isaacson explores the recent revolutionary advances in our ability to manipulate the genetic code, and in the process follows the life of Jennifer Doudna, one of the trailblazers, together with her colleagues and competitors. The story begins when, in the sixth grade, Doudna discovered that her father had placed a copy of James Watson's autobiography, The Double Helix, a personal account of the discovery of the structure of DNA, on her bed. It captured her imagination, and she then aimed for a career to learn about life's basic elements. As a relatively young scientist, she and her collaborators learned that bacteria could defend against an attacking virus by storing some of the viral genetic code in its own DNA. Doudna and her group then duplicated the process, now carrying the acronym CRISPR, in the lab, but then discovered that one could design the process to target virtually any DNA sequence, that discovery led to the 2020 Nobel Prize in Chemistry, awarded to Doudna and her collaborator in Paris, Emmanuel Charpentier. Isaacson brings out the drama of the scientific process itself and what motivates its practitioners with a nuanced, page-turning narrative. Scientists pursue their goals with a passion because of the beauty of what they find, not simply to record data. They can sense when they are on the verge of a major discovery, at which point they pour their energies into their work. There are both failures and blind alleys, as well as successful milestones. As with their passions, other human factors come into play, including the shadow of competitors, notably Feng Zhang of the Broad Institute of Harvard and MIT, the desire for recognition, as well as matters of trust, which can be fragile. The advances over the past decade have now opened the opportunity to edit the DNA sequence in humans. This has led to many research efforts aimed to eliminate genetically-based diseases, such as sickle cell anemia. But with this also comes a realization that one can, in principle, edit any gene, disease-related or not, when a human is but a single cell. At that point, all future cells in the body will contain the same modified DNA, which in turn can be inherited. This has generated foundational ethical questions that are now being debated across the biomedical community, and Isaacson tries to shape the basic issues so that a reader can follow subsequent developments. The narrative was interrupted in early 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic struck the world. Rather quickly, the key players, competitors, and colleagues alike realized that they had contributions to make, 
and the responsibility that they made both carefully and quickly. Rivalries were eased, and data and results shared at an unusual level. The results have included a relatively cheap way to make a test kit using CRISPR technology, and the first major vaccines ever to use RNA rather than killed virus to allow the body to attack the key proteins of the COVID-19 virus more efficiently, all within a time frame that would have been years longer using earlier technologies. This book is a fitting testament to the beauty of life's building blocks, the joy of discovery, and the profound societal impact that exploring our world can ultimately provide. For more on gene editing, see the JWJ review of the book by Henry T. Greeley, CRISPR People, The Science and Ethics of Editing Humans. For films this week, Dan reviews Billy. In 1971, the New York journalist Linda Kuhl determined that she would write the definitive biography of the world's greatest jazz vocalist, Billie Holiday. Toward that end, across eight years, she amassed some 200 hours of taped interviews, notes, and preliminary material, police files, transcripts of court cases, royalty statements, shopping lists, hospital records, private letters, transcripts, and fragments of unfinished chapters. Her goal, she said, was to write an account of Holiday that was non-sentimental and that would present her as she, quote, really was. Tony Bennett was one of the many people that Kuhl interviewed, and when he heard this, he said, that will be an interesting book. She really lived a wild life. Kuhl interviewed just about anybody who would talk to her. Singers, producers, band members, family members, friends, a pimp, the ward of the prison where Holiday was incarcerated for a year, a roommate in federal drug agents. Kuhl died under suspicious circumstances before her project was finished, and the tapes were never heard. In this documentary, director James Erskine narrates Holiday's story through the use of these 50-year-old scratchy cassette tapes. The result is what you might expect, given the extensive studies that have already been published about Holiday, a remarkably gifted talent that was overshadowed by a tragic and turbulent personal life, sexual abuse at an early age, pimping and being pimped, promiscuous bisexuality, hardcore drug and alcohol addiction, prison, racist persecution, misogyny, and a series of abusive men who, in one interpretation, fed her masochistic streak. She was an extremist, said one interviewee. Her genius, observed another, was that her singing expressed true experiences that were deeply felt. To take just one example, the, stro- the song Strange Fruit, about lynchings in America. In the end, Tony Bennett was right. I watched this movie on Amazon Prime Video. And lastly, for poems for this Pentecost Sunday, O Comforting Fire of Spirit by Hildegard of Bingen. O comforting fire of spirit, life within the very life of all creation, holy you are in giving life to all. Holy you are in anointing those who are not whole. Holy you are in cleansing a festering wound. O sacred breath, O fire of love, O sweetest taste in my breast which fills my heart with a fine aroma of virtues. O most pure fountain, through whom it is known that God has united strangers and inquired after the lost. O breastplate of life and hope of uniting all members as one. O sword belt of honor, enfold those who offer blessing. Care for those who are imprisoned by the enemy and dissolve the bonds of those whom divinity wishes to save. O mightiest path which penetrates all from the height to every earthly abyss, you compose all, you unite all. 
Through you, clouds stream, ether flies, stones gain moisture, waters become streams, and the earth exudes life. You always draw out knowledge, bringing joy through wisdom's inspiration. Therefore, praise be to you who are the sound of praise and the greatest prize of life, who are hope and richest honor, bequeathing the reward of light. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for May 23rd, 2001, Pentecost Sunday. I'm Debbie Thomas.